Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. We may be living in days of opportunity where people are more willing to hear the gospel. People are more willing to hear the truth that there is something beyond this life in which we live. But the problem is that many people do not want to know that. People do not want to come with the, uh, with the knowledge that there is a second coming because along with the second coming is a judgment. And they don't want to think that there's a judgment uh, because they think that this idea of a second coming of Jesus Christ, this idea of a, of a judgment, is a way that people can use it to scare people, manipulate them so they can do what they want them to do. So they don't want to listen to this possibility that there might be a judgment. They don't want to listen to the the possibility they may have to answer for their deeds that they've done here on earth. This is the environment in which we live in. It's very much like what was going on in the days of Hosea, in Hosea chapter 9. We see a, a group of people, we see a nation of people that did not believe that judgment was about to come. And Hosea takes to the Word, and he begins to reveal to them God's Word to the people. We're going to look at Hosea chapter 9. This is week 10 in our series. I appreciate Josh uh, stepping out of his comfort zone uh, last week and preaching a passage. I said, Josh, this is the passage you're going to preach. And he dealt with that and struggled with it. So I appreciate him uh, doing that and, and keeping us flowing in this idea of God's amazing love. You hang on. We'll get there. We'll get there. In a couple of weeks, we'll start seeing how God's love shines through. We're going to look at this passage this morning under the heading, When Judgment Comes. I'm not going to read the whole passage. I just want to kind of walk you through the passage and reveal the truths that are highlighted in this passage. The first truth we find in this passage, when judgment comes, there will be no rejoicing. The context behind this entire passage is the annual harvest festival. In those days, at the end of the harvest, there'd be a a big festival that would take place in the land. Not just in Jerusalem, not just in in Israel, but all around them. But let's highlight it, what goes on in Israel. And it was a time of the harvest when they would thank God for the blessings He bestowed upon them in the harvest. There'd be singing. There'd be drinking wine. There'd be dancing. So there were no Baptists there. Because there was drinking and dancing. There was no Baptists there. Uh, uh, there was singing, there was dancing, there, there, was, there was just a good time was, was taking place. It was a time of celebration, a time of festival. But then in the midst of the celebration, in the midst of the, of, the, of the party, here comes a party pooper. Here comes Hosea. He's a party crasher. And he comes to them in verse 1. Notice what he says, Do not rejoice, O Israel. Do not be jubilant like other nations. Well, you've been unfaithful to your God. Do not misunderstand what's going on. Just because they're celebrating the harvest doesn't mean they're giving glory to God. It doesn't mean they're honoring God. They're just doing what comes natural. They're just celebrating the events around them. They have perverted the original intent of the celebration. They were not doing it to honor God. They were not doing it to worship God. They were not doing it to to give Him blessing. They were doing it to promote their own sinfulness. And so Hosea comes on them and he says, the time for rejoicing has ended. 
By the next time, by the next festival, you will not exist as a nation. Do not rejoice. Do not rejoice. Then in verse 3, he says this, they will not remain in the Lord's land. Numerous implications to this phrase. This is the first time in the Old Testament that it's ever called the Lord's land. The only first time it's ever been mentioned in the page of the Old Testament. It's God's land. In other words, God is the landlord. They're just tenants. They don't own the land. It's owned by God and God alone. But throughout the Old Testament, the land always held a prominent place for the people. It, it, it signifies God's blessings upon them. Even in the, in the time of Abraham, the land was something that was promised to Abraham and to his seed. During the time of the Exodus, the land was, was evidence of God's saving work and it included the gift of the land to the people. During the wilderness wanderings, the, hope, the land was always their hope that they would reach that promised land. During the time of Joshua, when, when the land, they took possession of the land, the land was, was evidence of God's gracious gift to them, but it was also a, a proof of God's power and God's faithfulness to the people of Israel. But all that changed after the settlement. After they settled in the land, that land that before had given them joy, had given them hope, had given them faith, afterwards the land became a stumbling block to the people. And it signified a break with the Lord, not the land. He says, they're going to be removed from the land. They'll no longer have this blessing. They will not be able to remain in the Lord's land. He said, it's not so much they're losing the land, but they're losing the presence of God. They're losing their blessing of being the God, God's people. Then in verse 4, he goes on and says, they will not pour out wine offerings to the Lord. When they poured out a wine offering, it's a, it's a celebration of that new wine, and they would pour it out, and it was evidence of God's favor upon them, so they would pour it out kind of as a blessing to God. Thank you, God, for the blessings you've given us. Thank you, God, for showing favor of us. They would pour it out because it gave them joy, because their sins have been forgiven. He said they won't be able to do that anymore. They won't be able to pour out the offerings. Why? Because their sins will not be forgiven anymore. I will no longer forgive their sins. So there's no reason to pour out those offerings. Then in verse 7, he cuts to the heart of it. He says, the days of punishment are coming. The days of reckoning are at hand. Let Israel know this. He says, the day is here. The day has arrived. The day of punishment is upon you. It is time, Israel, that you face up to your sins. There's no reason to rejoice. There's no reason to be happy. You are now living in the moments of judgment and they're fast approaching you. Now the teachings of this passage are numerous. There's numerous things that we could get from just these words that I've said, but the number one thing that I see in the words that I just mentioned was when judgment comes, there's no longer rejoicing. There's no longer rejoicing. It will come at a time that they least expect it. A time when there will be singing, there will be dancing, there will be shouting. It will happen to them. There will be no reason to rejoice. 
There'll be no reason to have laughter. It's the same way in the New Testament. Hear me on this, my friends. When Jesus comes at His second coming, there will be no rejoicing. It will be a day of judgment. There will be no hope for those individuals that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That have lived their life in rebellion to His teachings, in rebellion to the truth that the Word of God teaches. Hosea says this. Hosea tells, says to the people of Israel, judgment on judgment is coming for Israel. Israel will be judged for their sins. It will be the same way when Jesus comes in all His glory. People will be judged according to their sins. They will be judged. But there's another truth revealed in this passage in verses 9-17. through 17. We're basically giving a, giving a history lesson of the people of Israel. And what Hosea is doing, he's going back in time to show that God's judgments are true. He said, let me tell you your history because your history reveals what's taking place in your life today. And so we see that when judgment comes, life will be reviewed. All of life will be reviewed. In verse 9, we see the reference to the city of Gibeah. He says, they have sunk deep into corruption as in the days of Gibeah. Now this is the first of five cities mentioned in chapter 9 and 10. And every time a city is mentioned in those two chapters, it's, it's a reference to something that happened in the history of Israel. It reminds the people of their sinful history. And with Gabeah, it goes back 400 years earlier to the time of the judges. You can read the story. I wouldn't recommend a, a reading to your kids. It's pre pretty sordid. It's pretty bad. In Judges chapter 19 through 21. My wife read it the other day. I said, wow, honey, it's interesting that you're reading that because that's in my sermon for next week. And she goes, well, help me understand it. She said, I don't understand it. How can I tell you about it? Let me cut to the chase and tell you what it is. It's a time in the land of Israel that something terrible happened in Gibeah. A Levite went to the city, and the people of Gibeah wanted to have homosexual relations with the Levite. And instead of the Levite doing that, he gave them his concubine or his wife, and they committed to rape her repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly to the point that she died. And then the Levite goes back to town and he cuts her into 12 pieces, sends them throughout the land of Israel, and rallies Israel to come and destroy the people of Benjamin, to kill every one of them. That was the history. And Hosea says, do you remember Gabeah? Do you remember what you did there? Not just at what Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin did, but the fact that Israel even allowed that type of stuff to go on in their land. He says, as it was it could be. He said, that's exactly what you're doing now. You're the same way as you were then. You've sunk that deep in your corruption as it was in those days back then. Then verse 10, Hosea goes all the way back to the beginning of the people uh, of Israel. And he says, man, when I first found Israel, man, you were choice. Man, you were great. And you brought, you brought me so much joy. He said, it's like finding grapes in the desert. Oh, you brought so much joy to my life. You brought so much happiness to me. When I saw your fathers, I was like, it was like seeing the early fruit on the fig tree. He said, man, he said, Israel, 
You were my people. But then something happened. They came in their first contact with a foreign religion. They came in their first contact with the religion of Canaan. And he mentions this place, but, you see that? He said, man, you were choice people. You were refreshing me. He said, but, then something happened. Verse 10, but when they came to Baal Peor, when they came to Baal Peor, this event happens in Numbers chapter 25, verses 1 through 5. He said, what happened at Baal Peor set the pace for the future of the nation. What they did there set the table for what they would do later in their life. You see, Israel was designed to be a holy nation. A people for God, for God alone, for God's purposes. But once they came to Baal Peor, that was corrupted. And their attitude, their hearts began to change. He says in verse 10, but when they came to Baal Peor, what did they do? They consecrated themselves to that shameful idol. They consecrated themselves. They dedicated themselves to that idol. They dedicated themselves to living according to Baal Peor and whatever he represented to that god, Canaan, at that time. This happened at the land of Baal Peor. And then he goes on, he says, and they became as vile as the thing they loved. Here's what he's saying. He said, you become like that that you worship. You become like that that you love. They began to look more like the people of Canaan than they did the people of God. They began to look more like people worshiping an idol than people that were worshiping the Creator of the heavens and the earth. And the point that Hosea is trying to bring out to the people of Israel, it's still happening today. Israel, you have a history of sin. Israel, you have a, you have a history of choosing to follow idols. What's he doing? He says, my judgment upon you is justified because of the way you've lived your lives. But he goes on in verse 15. He offers him one more story. He says, because of all their wickedness at Gilgal. What happened at Gilgal? That's when the people of Israel says, we want to be like everybody else. We want to be like the nations around us. We want to have our own kings. We don't want to be ruled by judges. We don't want to be a theocracy. We want to be a monarchy. And we want to have our own king. So God said, give it to them. And they gave him Saul. He gave him Saul. God was not against the monarchy. Why? Because God chose David to be the king. But God said, it's going to happen in my time in the way I want it to be done. But they said, we don't want to wait, God. We want to do it now. We want to be like all the nations around it. So he gave him Saul. And Saul was a man that did not seek after God's heart, unlike David, who was a man after God's own heart. And he could lead the people from that. But they chose to rebel against that. What they were saying, when they chose to have a king and not God, they were denying the kingship of God. So God, we don't want you ruling over us. We don't want you in control of our lives. What they were doing was committing political adultery, if we can use that term today. And Hosea is saying political adultery always comes because of spiritual unfaithfulness and because of idolatry. When you're unfaithful to God and you set up idols, you will commit spirit, you will commit political adultery. The history is a proven record of what happened to them. 
And because of the choices that Israel made, God had no choice. He had to punish them. He had to judge them. He didn't have any options because God is holy. Because God is holy and God is righteous, He cannot allow it to continue. So He said, I have to judge them. He left them no alternative. When judgment comes, life will be reviewed. Unless you think this has no teaching for us, has no relevance for us, God does not change, my friends. He does not change. Listen to what happens in Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. Apostle John says this, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. God is the same. Just as He judged Israel, He's going to judge all people. They will be judged according to what they've done. They will be judged. When Jesus comes in all His glory, all of life will be reviewed. Everything we've ever done, everything we've ever said, and get this, everything we've ever thought will be judged. One more truth. When judgment comes, it will mean separation from God. Verse 12. This is, just, this is throughout the passage. Let me highlight a couple of places. Verse 12, he says, Woe to them when I turn away from them. Woe to them when I turn away from them. The passage is meaning that God will remove Himself and the ultimate punishment will be the silent, vacant emptiness all around them. They will cry out to God, but He will not be found. They will search for God, but He will not be found. Verse 15 teaches the same thing. He goes on and says, I will drive them out of my house. I will no longer love them. I will drive them out of the house. The picture being presented to us is of someone who's begging themselves. They've been driven from the house and they're begging. They're standing outside the doors begging to get in to the place where they are, where God is. They're on their knees. They're pleading for refuge. Let me in. Let me in. Let me in. Wow, but they're driven from it. They're forced to flee. It's the same word that's used in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, when it says, He drove the man out. Why? To guard the way to the tree of life. Why is that? Because if we allow them to live in the Garden of Eden, they will live forever in their sinful state. And he says, because I love them, I cannot allow that. I cannot allow that. He drove them out. Verse 15, he goes on and says, I will no longer love them. What that means is that God says, my love has reached the limit. He says they rejected. They rejected His love, so I will no longer love them. I will no longer care for them. Verse 17, he says, my God will reject them. 
My God will drink. Hey, folks, these are not my words. It's just right out of the Scripture, man. I mean, this is just exactly what God's Word says. That word that's used for rejection, rejection, is a strong word. It's a word that means to be thrown away, never to return. It's rejecting, throwing something out that's undesirable. It's the same thing as garbage, folks. When I take my garbage out, you know, I don't go, oh, I wish I had my garbage back, and go back and bring it back and keep it in my house. I don't do that. Uh, maybe some of you do. You're, you're, you, know, you, you can be weird like that, but I do not do that. When I throw my garbage out, I'm throwing my garbage out never to see it again. God has said it's going to come time. I'm going to reject them. I'm going to throw them away like a piece of garbage. Never to have anything to do with them again. And the fact of the matter is, the ten northern tribes of Israel never returned to God's favor like the southern kingdom. Never. You heard the lost ten tribes of Israel? They never returned to God's favor. Never. The southern kingdom did. But not the northern kingdom. You know, it almost sounds familiar. Something I was reading the other day. In the New Testament, Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, that's what it says. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. People say, oh, God would never, never send anyone to the lake of fire. No, He doesn't send them. He allows you to go. God says, look, if you don't want to have a relationship with me on earth, why am I going to force you to have a relationship with me for eternity? He said, you don't want to have a relationship with me on earth. I'm going to give you your wish. You'll spend the eternity not in a relationship with me. Why? Because God loves you. He wants to give you your way. C.S. Lewis always said it this way. At the end of the time, there'll be two groups of people. On one, he'll turn to and they will say, thy will be done. And the others will turn to them and say, thy will be done. You chose not to have a relationship. He said, okay, I'm going to give you a wish. Whatever you want to do. Why? Why did all this happen? Look at verse 17 again. My God will reject it. Why? Because they've not obeyed me. They've not obeyed Him. They've not done what God asked them to do. They haven't been a people after God's own heart. They haven't wanted to follow Him. They haven't wanted to live in commandment, in obedience to Him, in a relationship with Him. They never listened to Him. They never trusted God to really take care of them and provide for them and, and meet their needs. And God says their past is caught up with them. In the words of a modern day poet, it's time to pay the fiddler. Hosea says judgment has come. It's time to pay up. The day of judgment has come. One more truth. Verse 17 again. Notice what it says. Hosea says, My God will reject them. Did you hear it? Did you hear the truth? Hosea says, My God. Hosea says, I'm not with you. My God's going to reject you. He ain't rejecting me. Hosea, I've been faithful. I've been obedient. I've done what God's asked me to do. I have a relationship with Him. But He's going to reject you. What do we do with this? There's coming a day 
when Jesus Christ will come. And all those people who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ through faith, God will reject. God will reject. You leave Him no alternative. Now, for those of us who have believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of life and have accepted the good news, have accepted the Gospel and has transformed our life, has transformed our relationship with Him, said we call Him our God. We call Him our Savior. We call Him our Lord. When that day comes, we'll be separated. The sheep from the goats will separate us. And we will spend eternity with Him. For those of us that know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we say, praise God. Hallelujah. Amen, right? Amen. There's coming a day. And we will put away this corrupt body that we possess and we will be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ and we shall be with Him forever. Great news, right? Hallelujah. Let me ask a question. What about your neighbors? What about your friends? What about your family? What about all those people that live around us? Look back over here, over here, over here. Can you, can you, what does it mean for us as a church that we'll, we'll sit back idly by and let them go to hell because we don't care about them? I'm okay. I'm okay. I don't care if they're okay. Here's what it brings to me that we as a church must do everything. Everything in our power, everything in our ability, everything in our mind to do whatever it takes, however we have to do it, to reach this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because there is coming a judgment. There is a second coming. And when Jesus comes, the time for repentance will be over. Over. And He will come. He will come in a twinkling of an eye. When we least expect it. The Bible says when He comes, two will be lying in bed. One will be taken. One will be left behind. Two will be working, threshing the floor. One will be taken. One will be left behind. And they will be judged. How about you? How about you? What are you willing to do what are you willing to do to make sure the people around us hear the good news of Jesus Christ? What are you willing to do to make sure they have an opportunity to hear the message of the Gospel? Can I just submit to you? It may look different than what you're doing now. And if you're not willing to make it look different, guess what? You're probably not really interested in reaching Him. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just trying to speak the reality. Time is precious. Time is passing us by. And we've got to make sure that we are vigilant, vigilant to make a difference in the community where God has placed us. Because there is coming a time of judgment. And when judgment comes... There'll be no time for rejoicing. 
when judgment comes, all of life is going to be renewed. And though we might be saved, I wonder, I wonder if God will sit there and say, why didn't you do more? Why didn't you do more? And it says for 30, it said that God will wipe away every tear in our eye. What do you think those tears are there for? Two things. Tears of joy. Yeah, well, great. Also going to be tears of sadness for those that we did not reach with the good news of Jesus Christ and they would spend a Christless eternity. Time is short. When judgment comes, it will mean separation from God. Where are you at in your life? Individually, where are you at? Do you know Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of life? Do you know beyond a shadow of doubt that you are washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you know beyond a shadow of doubt that you have a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ that transforms your life? Or are you just religious? People of Israel were religious. They had religion down. But they didn't have a relationship. In a moment, we'll give you an opportunity to respond. We won't belabor the point. Just First note of the first verse, you come right on up. Kip's going to come up and lead us in a word, in a song. Cassie's going to come and play. Give you an opportunity to what you heard. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. Maybe there's somebody here today, you need to know what, it, what it's like to receive Jesus, Lord, to save your life. I'll be here. Josh will be here. Marcy will make her way up here. We'll be here to talk with you and share with that. We don't want you to leave here unless you know. We want you to know beyond a shadow of doubt that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. Others of maybe say, man, I need a church home, I need a place we can, we can serve, we can, we can minister, we can be ministered to, and we can be, and we can, uh, be encouraged. And maybe God has brought you here because this is where He would have you to be. Whatever it is, we invite you to come. Would you stand with me as I lead us in a time of prayer? Father, we come before You this morning. Thank You for this time. Thank You for Your Word, Father. Thank You for the truth that is revealed in Your Word, Father. Lord, I know there's a judgment coming, and Father, I know every day I think about that, Father. I say, what more can I do? What more can I do? What more can I do? Father, not because I'm afraid, Father, that I'll be found guilty of, of, of not believing in You, Father, because, Lord, I just want my joy, to Father, to be more people saved. Father, the only two things that are going to last forever, Father, are Your Word and the souls of men. That's it. Nothing else, God, will last forever. Buildings come, buildings go. But Father, Your name will last forever. Father, I pray that You touch our hearts this morning. Convict us, Father, we need to be convicting, Father. Challenge us, we need to be challenged, Father. We give You this time, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.